Hear me now? Oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> See, that was all planned. That was part of the program. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It is good to see you in the house of the Lord today. Uh, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I just love to come into the house of God with God's people and to just enjoy uh, not only the wonderful time of worship through the worship team and uh, the worship leading that we experience here. And don't, don't you just love that song? Uh, boy, I, I believe in the Holy Church. I believe in the body of Christ. I believe in the resurrection and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love it. Thank you so much. Today, I'm going to speak to you on the subject on hidden renovation. You know, as a minister, I watch in the month of January especially, there is this great urgency and a desire for people to make some internal changes. Everyone wants to turn over a new leaf. And I think deep down, all of us want to see a change take place in our life. And obviously, I believe that change is always possible when there's God in the equation. And we have chosen this month of September to speak on the area of renovating the old and bringing in the new. In fact, I like what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 2 says, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of of God. This morning, I just want to speak on making a change that's a lifetime change. And all of us struggle. There are things in our life that we don't like, things that we're like, I, I just got to make a change. And how do I do that? How do these changes come to pass in my life? How can I be the real deal? And I want to speak to you on that subject on the hidden renovation this morning. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the word of God. We'll pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us now in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. An internal hidden renovation is a change that changes us from the inside out. If we want to experience change, there must first be an internal change. It begins in here. A change that's not visible to the naked eye. A change that has to do with the Bible calls the hidden man. The hidden man, not the external outside man. First Peter 3, 4 says, but let it be the hidden man. I love this. Let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Before we can understand this hidden renovation, we first must understand something about the total creation of man. Now, the Bible teaches us that we were created in the image of God. There are three parts of you this morning. There are three different compartments of your nature. The threefold nature of man can be illustrated in three separate ways. First of all is the body. The body is shown as touching the material world. It, it, the body is world conscious. And it's through the five senses of sight, smell, hearing, taste, and touch. Uh, this is the body that we live in. And a lot of us associate life, our life, with our physical body. But that's only one aspect of who you are. And a lot of our identity is attached to our physical body. 
So the first part that you have is a body. Secondly, you have a soul. Now your soul has emotions, it has imagination, it has memory, it has reason, it has affections. This is what we call self-consciousness. This is the soul. The the soul basically responds to the physical uh, dynamics of life. So there's the body, there is the soul, and then there is the spirit. Now, the spirit is the third part of who you are, and that has to do with the spiritual man. And the spiritual faculties of the spirit are faith and hope and reverence and prayer and worship. This is what we call a God consciousness. You see, a true renovation, really grab this this morning, true renovation, a true change in your life begins with the spirit of God. Because he's the only one that can bring an internal change that creates a new renovation out of our old nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. Now, hidden renovation begins with an inward desire for God to change us. Now, let's look at three ways how this hidden renovation can begin. And I want you to write these three thoughts down. Number one, our big point, renovation begins by sparking the spirit of man. Renovation begins by sparking or bringing the spirit of man back to life. Colossians 2.3 says, 2.13, you were dead because of your sins. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave our sins. Now, God begins his renovation by first reviving the spirit of man within us. It's what we call a spark of regeneration, a spark of new spiritual life. Now, when a lost man comes in contact with the message of the gospel, which is good news, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, and then when he surrenders himself to this message and obeys the gospel by receiving the Lord from his heart, Something supernaturally happens to him. God quickens him. God resurrects him. God gives him a new life in that spirit. And the spirit of man is brought back to life. You see, after the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, the spirit of man died. When he first made us in the Garden of Eden, we were made completely whole, body, soul, and spirit. All three were aligned perfectly together. All three were perfectly alive and very much uh, in union with each other. But when man sinned, that spirit of man died. The connection zone between God and man was shut down. The life and the light of the spirit of man was extinguished. And all of a sudden, man was separated from God. And actually, The spirit became a dark chamber of death. So man became alienated from the voice of God. Man became a loss from the presence of God and all connections with God were lost. Everything died. Spiritual perception died. Communication with God died. Worship died. Fellowship with God died. Man was plunged into a world of darkness because in the Garden of Eden, when God says, if you eat of that knowledge, of the, tr- the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt surely die. And what he was talking about was your spirit was going to die. The body died soon after. 
Man was left with his own physical existence for a very short time. He was left with his physical senses and his soul. And the soul could only live off from the things that the physical life could direct to it. This is what the Bible calls a natural man. Existing only with the body and the soul. Void of any spiritual life or any perception of who God is or where is God. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That's why the Bible talks about you've got to be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, the physical body. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, the spirit of God has to come in contact with the spirit of man. There has to be a spark of regeneration. There's got to be a change that God makes in you. And you have a lot to do with that reception of change. You have a lot to do with your born-again experience. It's one thing to say, I understand the gospel. I, it's another thing to say, I'm a member of the church and I'm trying my best to work things out as far as being a Christian. That's one thing. But it's totally another thing to realize that you were born in sin and you need Jesus Christ to touch the spirit of your life and to bring the spiritual man back to life. Now, I have a, a credit card here. And this credit card, I've been carrying it around for over a year. And it's interesting, it was issued to me, and it says I've got a certain amount of credit on this card. And it's amazing, and they say, oh, wow, you know, you can use this, you can go to Walmart, you can go to a gas station, you can go to a grocery store, you can go wherever you want. All you got to do is just present this card. Now, I, after they gave me this card, there was a little sticker on the front of this card that says, you must activate. And when I received this card, it says, you better obey the instructions on this little card if you want to use this card. Now, I have not activated this card yet. But if I took this card this morning and I went to Walmart and I handed this to them, it would be totally declined. You say, wait a minute, they issued that card. I have it, I possess it, I believe I have it, but the card would be declined. You know why? Because I never followed and never obeyed the, the action that I need to take to activate this card. Salvation is very much the same thing. The moment I sit down and say, okay, I'm going to follow the instructions, I've got to reach out and I've got to call this number and I've got to receive the instruction and then I've got to follow through with this instruction and then all of a sudden something happens. Some higher power bank program, after this thing is activated, followed by my obedience and calling it in, all of a sudden engages life into that card and now I can go out and use it every time. I can use this, and this car is activated. Now, let me share with you something. You can say you, can, you have the gospel, you believe the gospel, you believe a Christian, but my friend, until you understand that the Bible says that your sins were paid for at the foot of the cross, 
He saved you. I mean, he, he died for you. He gave his life's blood for you. He paid your redemptive price. And what he asks you to do, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We activate our spirit when we obey the gospel and we say, yes, Lord, I believe in you. I call upon you. I trust you. And the moment you call upon God, the moment you call upon him and you trust him, the powers of heaven will activate your salvation and your spiritual man will come back to life. It will be quickened. One thing that stands at the guard at the door of a man's spirit, and that is our will. When our will is surrendered to the message of the gospel, the Holy Spirit takes up his abode in the spirit of man. And the spirit of man is quickened, awakened, and he's revived. That which was closed before and dead and unresponsive, now because of your obedience to the gospel, all of a sudden now you have new life. You're now open and receptive to the truths of the Spirit of God. Prayer and communication are now reinstated. And after our salvation, God begins to do his greatest work of renovation in all of us. He begins to renew, renovate, and restore what, the, what Satan has destroyed at the time of the fall. In fact, the deep things of God will never be understood by the outside world of Jesus Christ. When the spiritual man is resurrected after the gospel, everything changes. In fact, the spiritual work of the church cannot be entrusted to any man who has never been born again. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit, capital S of the Holy Spirit, is spirit. The Bible says there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. And, and that's why the Lord has called himself the spirits of all flesh. He is the father of all spirits. It is by his spirit that the Christian both serves and he worships. In other words, your connection to God is not your physical body. It is not your soul. Listen carefully. Your spiritual life connects to your spirit. That is the groundwork. That is the place where God sets up his construction zone of change in your life. In other words, you can't change in a natural state until that spirit of man is touched by God through your obedience and your reception of him. There can never be a spiritual life or a spiritual change. And then here's the second thing, the second big point, and that is renovation builds up the spirit of man. I like what Jude 20 says, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. And then he says three things. Number one, you got to pray in the Holy Ghost. Number two, you got to keep yourself in love of God. And then number three, you got to look for the mercy of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, God works through the spirit of man to bring life and fruit and holiness into the life of a believer. It is only through the spirit of man that God brings spiritual life. And when the spirit of man is awakened to a vital God consciousness, he then looks to follow and surrender to the Holy Spirit's leading to follow God's plan and God's purpose for his life. The spirit of man becomes the inner private workshop where the spirit and the work of generation takes place. 
That's where God does his work, in your spirit, not in your soul, not in your emotions, not, not in your memory. He doesn't begin in, in the physical body. He knows the physical body is, is, is bound for death, and that's what death is. It's a separation of soul and spirit from the physical body. Death is a mystery to us. We've gone to the funeral home and we stood there and looked at someone who was once very alive and had a lot of personality. All of a sudden we see this corpse, we see this body that is, there's no life. And what happened? The soul and spirit, if they're saved, went on to be in the very presence of God. That spirit is eternal. It lives on and on and on. And if a man dies without that spirit being quickened, he will go to a place called hell. If a man in his lifetime calls out to God and the spirit of God quickens him, the Bible says they become the children of God. The spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So the spirit is God's place, God's workshop. Isaiah 64 says, but as, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither entered in the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. That, that's a man in his natural state. He has no idea. But then he says this, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit, for the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. God constructs the spirit of man to be built up in three places. God guides the spirit of man to look up. Because what God wants us to do is to keep a vital relationship with him at all times. We are to pray in the Holy Ghost. We are to keep ourselves in love with God. And then thirdly, we ought to look for his mercy. So it's a daily time of devotion in the presence of God. And, and this is a very important aspect of a major change in your life. As you walk with God, there's going to be a transformation taken place in your life from the inside out. And it will not begin with your body. It will not begin with your soul. But it will be in your spirit. That's God's choice. That's his zone. That's his connecting place in your life. It is through your spirit. And when you leave this world and you're going to get rid of this physical body, it is your spirit that is going to commune with God forever and ever. Remember, Jesus says God is a what? He is a spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God guides the spirit of man to look up. And then God equips the spirit of man to look inward. This is God's daily cleansing. As we look at the glory and the perfection of God and the faithfulness of God, and may I say this, the closer you get to God, the more self-conscious you're going to be of your own sinfulness. Isaiah was ushered right up into the presence of God, and he saw God sitting on the throne in all of his glory. And, and the, the Bible says the train filled the temple, and he was in the presence of God, and there was smoke everywhere because of the flaming fire of God. And Isaiah said, woe is me, I am undone. I'm not even worthy to stand here because the holiness of God magnified his sinfulness. 
The closer you walk with God, you won't become arrogant and think you got it all. If you're a truly a person that walks with God, you're going to become aware of your smallness, of your sinfulness, and your need of mercy. The closer you walk with God, your spirit will sense sin in every part of your being, and you're going to be conscious of that, and you're going to run to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We plunge into the the precious fountain of the blood of Jesus and we wash our sins because of his blood and we come up out of that river and we come up cleansed and made whole, not because I changed over a new leaf, not because I've decided to be a better person. I've come up because I have been declared clean by the precious blood and the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. All glory to Christ. All glory to Christ. God equips the spirit of man to look inside. Every day, I have to deal with myself. Some of you are looking at me like, yeah, we know. We got to deal with you too. I got to deal with myself. I can pray and get in the prayer closet and seek the Lord. And, and then an hour later, I'll get some disturbing phone call or someone will say something. And I'll be like, oh, I'm like, Lord, that's not the kind of spirit you want me to have. Every day, every moment, I've got to stay in the presence of God and say, God, cleanse me, purge me. God says, look inward, look inward. I want you to walk with me with a pure heart, Tim. And then thirdly, God instructs the spirit of man to look outward. He wants me to look upward. He wants me to look inward. And then he wants me to look outward. And this is where we become conscientious of the fact that God wants to bless me in the assembly of the saints. God wants me to bless other people. God wants me to, to, to use the spiritual fruitfulness of my life to bless other people. Galatians 5, and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. When you walk in the Spirit, a person who is filled with the Spirit has the fruits of the Spirit. And what happens? And that is that fruitfulness overflows into the body of Christ and others are blessed. God wants to use your spirit to bless the saints. Isn't that great? You know, have you ever thought about this? God never has to urge himself to be good. Because he's good inside and out. His nature always inclines irresistibly toward righteousness. If you cut open the heart of God, all you see is purity and holiness and righteousness. There's no shadow of evil. There's no God. He is absolutely pure and perfect in every way. God is never torn by evil motives. God is fully light and there is no darkness at all. So he doesn't need to be reminded about the duty of his deity. No one needs to come to God and say, now God, 
mind your manners today, and God, I want you to do what is right, and I want you to avoid evil and remember the Ten Commandments. You see, when a person is good from the root all the way out to the branch, he doesn't need to be told to be good. His goodness grows like the fruit of a tree. And when we walk with the Lord and when we look without and when we look out of our life and seeing God's fruitfulness touching the lives of others, it is then that God changes us completely. That's why Galatians 5 gives a great list of all the evil, sinful inclinations of the old man that we need to look out for. It reminds us of our moral depravity and a stark reminder that only God produces fruit in our lives. And let me tell you something, you don't find the fruits of the Spirit in your flesh, you don't find the fruits of the Spirit in your soul, you find the fruits of the Spirit in your spirit. And that fruit that you have, love, joy, and peace, is not found in you because intrinsically you're just this good soul. No, my friend, that fruit is there by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I have manufactured my own fruit, and that fruit isn't good to taste. You take a bite in my own f- effort to be good or to be fruitful, it's only wax. You ever had, my mom used to have wax fruit all the time, wax apples, wax grapes. And they'd fool me. Many times I'd reach over and grab into it and bite into it, and I'd be like, what? That's man cannot create the authentic fruitfulness that God wants to use in the life of a believer. You see, one of the most important things is God uses your spirit as a workshop to develop his fruitfulness in the lives of others. And Paul's aim is not to to change the veneer of our lives with some new learned habits of behavior. His aim is to reveal the spirit of man can only experience spiritual fruit by allowing the natural work of the Holy Spirit to flow through you. That's why you need to walk in the spirit. That's why every day you got to get up and abandon yourself. You need to walk away from the physical man and the demands of the physical body and the demands of the emotions, the soul of man. And you got you to make room for the spirit of man and allow God to fill your spirit with his power that you can be transformed from the inside out. God has no desire to save your flesh. Your flesh is going to die. Mine's on that, on that way. Now, this body's going to be resurrected with a glorified body. But God's greatest work in your life is through your spirit. And then here's a third thought, and that is the third big point, and that is renovation produces light through the spirit of man. This renovation, this changing from the inside out produces light through the spirit of man. I want you to look at Proverbs 20, verse 27. This is a very interesting verse, and if you've got to really catch it. It says this, and think about it. You think, think this morning. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. The spirit, not the soul of a man, not the flesh or the physical body, But the spirit, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. What a choice of words. What a metaphor. 
The candle is a symbol of your spirit and my spirit. You see, until a man's spirit comes in contact with his creator and comes in perfect union with his creator, he's not complete and man is not fulfilling his purpose in the life. You see, man is incomplete without God. Would you believe that? The Christian is made to yield himself to the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing how God uses the spirit of man to reveal his glory to a lost world. The revived spirit of man actually becomes a lighted candle in a dark world. Now, what am I saying? What am I saying? That God has chosen his word and the spirit of man to reveal himself to the world. Now, that's saying something. God wants to spark new life in you through salvation. He wants to rebuild your life by the works of the Holy Spirit so he can reveal his plan and his purpose and to produce light to a darkened world that's lost its way and lost its moorings. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. When that candle or the spirit of man yields to the power of God's presence, it burns, it gives light, it fulfills the purpose for its existence. An unlighted candle is not fulfilling its purpose. But you light the candle, it completes its mission and purpose, it performs the duty for which it was made. God is light and God is fire. My mom used to always have candles on our dining room table. But she would never let us light the candle because she says, there's nothing that looks worse than a wilted, burned candle. Never light the candles in the dining room. I thought, what a waste. Because a wax candle was created for the fire. The wax candle was created so it could hold the fire, possess the fire, to allow the fire to glow, to give warmth to those around. The candle is not designed just to stand there and look pretty. Sorry, Mom. It's not to look pretty and to look nice, but rather the candle was, was designed to be consumed with fire. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. So when the spirit of man yields itself to the fire of God, only then does he fulfill the purpose for his existence. And I got three thoughts here. Fulfillment in life comes when the candle renders itself submissive to God. I have people all the time, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I exist. It's like an onion. They unpeel one layer after another and there's nothing there, but they just cry. <laughs> You know why you were created? For God's plan and God's purpose and God's mission. When these two get together, the presence of God, the fire of God, and with your spirit, the fire doesn't become a candle, but the candle becomes a fire. The wax must acknowledge that the flame is superior, and only when that which is inferior yields to that which is superior does that which is inferior becomes fulfilled and happy. Fulfillment comes when the candle renders itself submissive to God. Life works for you when you stop striving and trying to do it yourself. Back up and surrender yourself 
to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and let God burn through you. And then number two, the candle is only usable only when it's lighted. An unlit candle is taller than one that is burning. The one that is burning will not uh, be tall for, uh, for long because it's giving of itself. A candle that is lit is burning itself out. It's fulfilling its purpose of its creation. The unlit one, not. It's pretty, it's taller, it lasts longer. And the candle was not made to be pretty or to be decorated but rather to submit itself to its creator. You ever thought about this? An unlit candle is always cold. There's there's not any heat. There's not any passion. There's not any beauty. And then thirdly, the candle is fulfilled only when it is giving itself. A lighted candle could say, all I am is a a slave. I'm constantly burning myself out for others. Or it could also say, I am fulfilling the purpose of my existence. You see, an unlit candle has no marks on the top. It has no melted tallow coming down the side. It is straight, but it's not fulfilling its purpose. A burning candle may even be bent over. It may be marred, but it has filled its purpose in life. You're saying, well, it doesn't look all that great. In fact, it looks kind of ugly. But the fact of the matter is, it is a life that's been consumed by the fire of God. In this life, if you can yield yourself to God and let God use you to bless and to serve the body of Christ, then it's a wonderful, glorious thing to let God use you. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, he was a burnt candle. He was sitting on the bottom of a prison. He was in jail, shackled in chains. His body had aged quickly because of the stress of the ministry. Three missionary journeys, and they were tough. He was beaten. The ships that he traveled in sank because of storms. He preached the gospel in a a very antagonistic world that, that hated him and hated the message of the gospel. And he was beaten. And he's sitting on the bottom of that prison cell. And he says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. It was like a candle that had burnt down low and all the drippings were on the side. It wasn't pretty. It was nothing glorious about it. But it was a burnt up old candle And his last words were, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I burned myself out for the glory of God. My father-in-law, my wife's father, tremendous preacher. I remember when I first married Janet, uh, I was able to work with him on his staff a little bit. And he loved people. He loved God. He poured himself out into the lives of people. I'd watch him and he'd be at a funeral one week, weeping and going through the emotional 
tragedy of a loss of a family member. And then next she would be sitting in the trauma of, of a couple that were getting ready to divorce after years of marriage. And the family, would, and every day I'd watch him come home and he'd sit there and there was a melancholy spirit about him because he constantly lived through this stress and this heartache over and over and over again, burying the sins and the burdens of others. And, and I could see the life ebbing out of him. And he'd get up Sunday after Sunday and preach the word of God. And he would pray and ask God to give him the strength just to make it another day. And it wasn't long before his heart started to give out. His heart became three times larger than what it was, and yet he never stopped. He was preaching and teaching, and toward the end of his life, he was preaching and teaching about the, the ministry of spiritual warfare and how we can overcome it. It seemed like every devil from hell jumped on his back. Every devil of, from hell, but God allowed all these things to take place because just a couple days He was riding down the road and his heart just gave out. His car swerved into another lane and hit an 18-wheeler and it all exploded. It went up in flames. And I was at the funeral home when we flew down and, and I kept thinking about, man, he lived his life in the trenches with the brokenness of people. He let the light of God's glory, every time he'd walk into a funeral home, the spirit of God was on him and he had a way of lifting up the saints of God and those who were brokenhearted. He had a chance to weep with them and commune with them and support them. And he had a way of just letting his light shine. And as I sat in the funeral home, I thought about the wilted, bent, burned physically too, his body. The spirit of man is a candle of the Lord. I saw this at his funeral. Friends, it was the biggest funeral I've ever seen. There were missionaries that came all around the world to thank him for his preaching because they were saved under his ministry. I saw people who came by. I was so amazed. My wife was deeply amazed of the people that came by and said, my life was changed because of the light of the gospel in this man, Dr. G.L. Wynn. Just a couple years before he burned out completely for God, there was a Christian university that called him and recognized that he had been a burning light for many, many years, and they gave him an do honorary doctorate degree, and they said, you have achieved life of ministry that has impacted the gospel of Christ around the world. And at that funeral, there was that, not this tall, beautiful, untouched, unlit candle, not this cold, decorated candle, but there was this burnt little bit of clay, this burnt little bit of wax it totally fulfilled the plan and purpose. God used his life to radiate his will of who he is. God got the glory in that funeral service. It was on the news. 
in Alabama, it was on the news everywhere talking about how this great man of God was faithful for 50 some years of preaching. It went everywhere. There were phone calls and people, and even to this this day, people still talk about how their lives were changed by this man of God. That little light was a candle to the world. I look at this church. We have a lot of candles burning in this church. And I wish I could take time to talk about all the candles, but I look around and I see this candle burning and that candle burning. These are people who are committed themselves to say, God, use me, use me. In the last days, may you bear forth the message of the gospel through my life of dedicating a life of denying self, denying the physical body, but rather allowing God to use your spirit to lighten the world. God wants to use you. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Your life was designed to be consumed with fire. Let God use you. Don't resent that. Don't try to keep your life because the more you try to keep your life, you lose your life. This morning, say, Lord, I need a renovation from the inside out. Some of you here need a spark. You're, you're like me. You're carrying a card with the instructions of what to do, but you've never obeyed the gospel. And standing at the door of your spirit's heart is your will. And your will is, Lord, I surrender, and I'm going to follow through and call upon you and ask you to be my Savior. The moment you do that, God will spark new life in you. You'll be born again right there. Isn't that great? Then let him, renovation begins with the building up of your spirit. Let God teach you and instruct you and let the Holy Spirit overflow you with his natural Holy Ghost fruits. And thirdly, be the candle, be the plan and the purpose of what renovation is all about. Burn out for God. Burn out for God. Let's pray. Heads bowed.